Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, Grand Theft Risotto. Mike brings the case against his mom, Mary Beth. He says Mary Beth knowingly took her daughter-in-law's recipes for a family cookbook and passed them off as her own. Mary Beth says that the attribution was implied and there was no wrongdoing. Who's right, who's wrong, only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom and presents the obscure cultural reference. You can still live with grace and wisdom, thanks partly to the many people who write about how to do it, and perhaps talk over much about riboflavin and economy, and partly to your own innate sense of what you must do with the resources you have to keep the wolf from snuffing too hungrily through the keyhole. Bailiff Jesse Thorne, swear them in. Please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that when cooking, he never uses recipes, preferring to rely instead on his innate sense of recipe? I do. I do. Very well. Judge Hodgman? Uh, Mike, Emily, Mary Beth, you may be seated. For an immediate summary judgment in either Mike's or Mary Beth's favor, uh, can any of you name the piece of culture that I referenced as I entered the courtroom? Now, Mike and Emily, you're kind of on the same side, or Emily, you're, you're standing by as a neutral uh, expert witness to this case. Really, it's Mike taking his mother to court. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. All right. So, Mary Beth, hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Good. My name is Judge John Hodgman, and you're on a podcast. Did your son even tell you what's going on? Yes, he did. All right, good. I don't like it when moms take their sons to court. It's rather un unseemly, if you ask me. But since you're yes. here against your will, you can either guess the piece of culture that I was quoting as I entered the room, or you can make uh, your son guess first and hope to glean some information from his, I'm sure, to be wrong guess. And if you guess correctly the origin of the cultural reference, that means God or whatever favors you in this case, and you get automatic divine justice and uh, the win. Well, I'll, pay, I'll pass it on to him. All right. Mike, it goes to you. Does God or whatever favor you or the mother who raised you and fed you as a child? What is your guess? It would seem he does not favor me. I, I have what do you no mean idea. He? What do you mean he? He, she, or whatever would not favor me. Right, but you have to make a guess. All right, Mike, would you like to hear the reference again? Yes, please. No. <laughs> <laughs> what is your guess? Um, God, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to, to guess when you know that you're going to guess wrong. Suddenly you it can't is. think of anything. It is. Um, Did you want to guess The Art of Eating by MFK Fisher? I, I was just about to say The Art of Eating by Mr. Fisher. Okay. Now, Mary Beth, it's time for you to guess. Okay. My guess is going to be James Beard. Uh, that's a very interesting guest. And um, Mike's, your was, yours was particularly interesting. But all guesses are wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I, feel, I feel a little bit bad, Mary Beth, because you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't catch on to what I was doing, which was giving you a big hint. <laughs> oh, I'm usually pretty good at that. It is the author of that is in fact 
uh, MFK Fisher, who is not a Mr., but a Ms., or was. She was Ms. Uh, now is was. <laughs> but it was not from The Art of Eating. It was from How to Cook a Wolf, a different book by her, about a subject that we very rarely hear about in food writing terms, which is how to keep your family from starving. By, <laughs> by, by, by making what little food you have after the war last longer. It's not something that we read about a lot anymore. Now it's more like, how much food can you throw away? Right. <laughs> I read a lot, of, a lot about food. I used to write about food and non-wine alcohol for Men's Journal magazine. That's how I met Alton Brown, one of my very favorite food personalities who's been a guest uh, on this program a couple of times. But MFK Fisher for me was the person who really made me understand why food was worth writing about. And she wrote during the middle of the last century, an incredible prose stylist. And I would, I, when I took a semester abroad in London during college, during a drink abroad program that I designed myself, <laughs> and was sleeping on the floor of my friend's dormitory at University College of London. I was of age children, by the way. I was legal age for drinking in England, at least. And then I would bathe in the dormitory's Ba uh, bathing so like they they didn't have showers very much over there at that time so th they just had rooms with a single bathtub in it and i would lie in that bathtub and i would read this big giant omnibus edition of msk fisher and it was one of my fondest memories it was it, uh, well i was not going to say this but there's one time when i woke up and i for reasons that i still don't know i had vomit in my hair and i had to wash it out <laughs> and that, and MFK Fisher was the soothing balm um, that filled my soul's hunger at a time when I could not feed myself for fear of vomiting again. So that's what I that's why that's my that's my takeaway from her. And I highly, highly recommend uh, her works. We have uh, on this food and recipe related podcast uh, are, are a new expert witness, though, another food writer. One who uh, is is not dead, um, but who <laughs> but who yet lives, and uh, we've been trying to get him on the podcast for a long time, and uh, we're going to bring him on now so he can just get on with the expert witnessing. Uh, and his name is Kenji Lopez Alt. He is the managing culinary director of Serious Eats, and he's also the author of the Food Lab, which is a book, the Food Lab: Better Home Cooking Through Science, which. Mary Beth just won a James Beard Award. Is that not correct, Kenji? Uh, that's correct. Yeah. Congratulations to you and welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Did you recognize my MFK Fisher quote? Um, I, you know, I, I was too busy making sure that my oven wasn't buzzing and my fan wasn't going off and all those things you have to do for radio that I actually didn't even hear your quote when you said it. Oh, uh, <laughs> not, not, to, not to worry. I'll, I'll repeat the quote for you. Beans, okay. beans, the wonderful fruit. The more you eat. <laughs> Got it. Yes. MFK Fisher, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you are uh, a, an expert in food science. Uh, sure. We could say that. Is that not so? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm an expert in writing about food science. Right. And so what does that, how does that uh, manifest itself? Then? Well, you know, my job is basically to take complicated scientific ideas and explain them uh, in ways that your average home cook can understand and to explain how understanding these concepts can make you a better cook. Now, this dispute is around recipes. Specifically, mm -hmm. Mike accuses Mary Beth of stealing 
Mike's wife's Emily's recipes for a family cookbook. And one of the things I like about the work that you're doing and, and, and people who are interested in food science like you is taking this long, uh, you know, cooking is science, but it is a science that has long existed exclusively in the realm of uh, essentially folklore, which is what recipes, family recipes are. You know, trial and error honed over time, passed down generation by generation, but never tested rigorously for its scientific properties, right? And you're taking uh, cooking, which has long been sort of a, a an arts and crafts of the home, mm-hmm. and examining it from a scientific point of view. Is that about right? Uh, that Yeah, that's pretty fair. Good. I like to be fair. I'm a justice after all. <laughs> so, Mike, your mom is a thief. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what a terrible person she is. <laughs> so, um, my mom, you know, I think to start with both me and my mother and I get it from her, have a very competitive nature. And as far as that relates to this cookbook, um, this cookbook was created. It has a little blurb at the beginning about how all these recipes have history and, you know, like some of our family should be able to look at these recipes and, drudge up memories and things and times when we've had them. And there's a lot of these recipes in there like that my aunt and other people submitted that do just that. So when I received... It is true true that food has a real quality of dredging up memories. I think that's what Proust wrote about, right? Oh, these Madelines making me think about my childhood dredging up those memories again. (laughs) So he said it in French and wrote it down also. Well, but but let's go. Let's back up a little bit here and just get to to the crime you're accusing her of. I don't care about your competitive nature. Okay, and I know well, what a family. Well, maybe some people don't know what a family cookbook is. A family cookbook is what, Mary Beth? It is a compilation of recipes that the family has made over the years, repeatedly made over the years, and brought to family functions and holidays. And you and you you xerox it up for each other. She made a little spiral-bound book for anyone that wanted one. She, yeah. she, right. who's she? Who's she? I'm all sorry, of a sudden? my sister, Lynn. Oh, okay. You want you don't want to name check Lynn, huh? You don't want to give you don't want to give anyone credit for anything, do you, Mary Beth? Um, <laughs> no, I, I try not to. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> so, Mike, you claim that Mary Beth took recipes from your wife Emily. Yes. Who is currently suffering in silent shame and mortification. Exactly. So I I got a copy of this book and started leafing through it. And as I came across like the first recipe, I recognized that, you know, leafing through it going, how am I going to nail mom this time? Probably something. (laughs) Exactly. So I've, the first recipe I I came across was like, well, this seems a lot like that one that Emily made. And then I just didn't really think anything of it. I kept going. And as I flipped through these pages, by the time I was done, I realized I think it was about four out of the five recipes that my mom submitted she had wholesale got from my wife and had never once made herself. She never even married Beth. Is that true? Uh, true with explanation. <laughs> true with explanation usually means not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can I explain? You, you may. I'll allow okay. it. Thank you. Um, Yes, they were ones I had had tasted that she had made and I loved. So when my sister did a revised edition of the cookbook and asked if there were any ones we wanted to add, I sent them to her. Mm -hmm. 
not giving any thought, just like the first edition, of submitting them. So it wasn't so you to send credit them to her it was as a as a as a uh, and let's get specific here. Mm-hmm. You sent in some evidence, right, Mike? Mm-hmm. And these are pa- these are pages from the from the cookbook. Correct. The Brogan family cookbook. There, I name checked you. Now, yes. okay. now you'll be found. <laughs> some old. Excuse me. Some some new. Some old. And here's a little. Oh, here's a photo on the front from left to right. Lynn, your sister. Mm-hmm. Larry, Kathy, some other people. Mm-hmm. Then there's Kevin, Tommy, and then there's you, Mary Beth. The cute one on the end. You're very adorable. Thank you. How old were you in that photo? Um, 14. Probably about five. Yeah. Mike, I know you're very competitive, but let your mom <laughs> let your mom assess her own age. She remembers being there. 14. <laughs> I can look at that and know that she wasn't 14 in that photo. Anyone who wants to see what a dumb, dumb Mike is, go to our website where you can see this. 14. <laughs> Man, you're going to get arrested if you're not careful. <laughs> I just thought old photos like added 10 years. <laughs> and where does the Brogan family make its home? What part of the world? We're all kind of about a, in the suburbs of Detroit. There's Allen Park. There's Riverview. Okay. Michigan. Yes. Michigan around Detroit. Some new, some old. First edition, November 2000. Revised edition, December 2012. I presume, Mary Beth, it is this revised edition to which you you added these recipes? Yes. All right. So, Mike, oh, here we go. There's some pictures of your home, some specific addresses. This will be fun for the listeners. They'll love to come and pay homage to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's, give, me, give me one of these recipes. I'm looking at page seven. Is it the recipe for deviled eggs? Um, one of them is for farm stay and salsa. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. This is perfect because you can really – this is where you can really tell. Like, it really stands out. Let me walk listeners through this. The first okay. recipe – It's not a recipe. The first recipe is for deviled eggs, <laughs> which is hard. And the, and the recipe goes, make deviled eggs, basically. <laughs> the second recipe has two ingredients, one of which is Lipton's onion soup mix and the other, which is – one container, regular or light sour cream. And guess what that's called? Lip- <laughs> Lipton brand onion soup dip. I don't think that that's Emily's own recipe. And then we get to farm stand salsa. One of these things is not like the other. Because <laughs> now we got two avocados, cherry tomatoes, three ears of corn, cut off the cob, uncooked, green onions, red onion diced, lemon, lime, sea salt, Holy moly, this is a, a beautiful, fresh salsa that does not involve onion soup in any way. Emily, do I guess right that this is your recipe? It is. I don't know if I'd call it a recipe, but it is something that I, uh, I made and, and brought it, to some events. It sounds delicious. Did you name it Farm Stand Salsa? You know, I don't know. I, oh. I don't think would I have named it. I don't recall. Well, how did it get the, how did it get the name Farm Stand Salsa? Because I think that's a pretty good name for a salsa. It is a pretty good name. Do you think that? Did you name it when you sent it, or do you think I named it? Mary I Beth. I no, I did not it. name it. Emily, if if this is your recipe and you did not name it, and Mary Beth did not name it, who could have named it? Hmm. Well, again, <laughs> it it wasn't to credit or discredit 
maybe Emily got it from somewhere and then she liked it and then oh you're saying your daughter-in-law is it takes a thief to know a thief and your (laughs) daughter-in-law is herself a thief well she's picking up on my traits yes (laughs) (laughs) is this your recipe Emily or not yes and uh and I I must have named it farm stand salsa at some point because I have it on a card it's one of the things that oh, over time she'll say, oh, what's in that? That was great. I'm going to bring that to a party. Or, you know, we prepare big amounts of it for summer backyard get-togethers, that kind of stuff. Um, it's I had to have named it at some I, point along the way. I think you better <laughs> stick with that story. Okay. Kenji. Yes. Here's, an, here's a question for you. Okay. What do you think? Are recipes intellectual property well i mean i can tell you what i think i can also tell you what the government thinks um i'll I'll allow both opinions if they're different (laughs) well so so my question would be in in the context of this um particular recipe book there are clearly recipes that violate you know at least government intellectual property laws like you know famous lipton onion soup dip that that's not mary beth's recipe that's not (laughs) That's nobody's recipe, but the Lipton Company's recipe. Yeah, um, and so so she does seem to be taking liberties anyway, um, which which to me means that you know it, it can be assumed that none of the recipes in this book are truly sort of developed from whole cloth original. And and what does that really mean in a recipe anyway? You know, yeah, I nobody, mean, are any recipes developed from whole cloth original? I, I would say no. You know, even recipes that are newly developed, like the type of recipes that 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 I work on. Right. Um, they're, they're still based on existing techniques. Um, maybe we're modifying the techniques a little bit. Um, you know, what I can tell you is that if I publish a recipe in a book, um, the only claim that someone can make if I, you know, that, that I stole it from them is if I'm using the exact same language, is if the ingredients list is identical and the, and the wording in the, uh, in the language is identical. Um, it, uh, you know, a recipe on its own, just the concept of combining ingredients and right. cooking them in a certain way, it's not something that you can copyright. Um, the language which you use to express those ideas, that is something that you can copyright. If I took this farm stand salsa recipe mm-hmm. and, I, and I cut and pasted it, into my own cookbook. Right. That would be obviously a violation of copyright. But if you rewrote it in your own words, like if I uh, said, it wouldn't. This is off the hook five or six <laughs> times. <in it. laughs> like I'm taking this to Flavor Town. <laughs> these it, are, Kenji, I don't know if you listen to the show, but these are Judge John Hodgman's famous catchphrases. Yeah. We're going downtown to Flavortown. Yeah, downtown <laughs> to Flavortown, which is a smaller town located in a in one district of a larger town. It's technically a township. Yeah, yeah, but we call it Flavortown. Right. <laughs> my my question would actually be: Where did that recipe for farm stand salsa come from in the first place? Well, that's the thing. Recipes, you know, are traditionally either adapted from cookbooks or passed down from. To mother or father to son or daughter, um, they are passed on and improved upon and changed over time. They are folkloric in that way. Very rarely does a woman in Michigan wake up in the middle of the night <laughs> and see glowing in front of her two avocados halved scooped out into chunks, one container of cherry tomatoes halved, three ears of corn cut off cob uncooked, lime, lemon, sea salt, etc., Emily, did you make this up out of your mind or did you adapt no, it from some other place? It, it didn't appear that way to me in the middle of the night in Michigan. Um, no, I think actually this is a spinoff of something that I ate at another party. So 
other friends of ours that I used to work with. Yeah. Uh, I think it had black beans in it. There might have been some variation, but it's probably pretty similar to, yeah, to something that I had eaten already. To me, the great innovation is that you or someone called it farm stand salsa. I think that's the only cool thing. Now, here we go. It's not the only cool thing. It sounds like a delicious salad or salsa or whatever it is. But uh, the the true unique intellectual property is this pretty cool name that you gave it, not your desire to use avocados in a thing. <laughs> right. But let's move on here to the to this next page. Baked blueberry pecan French toast. Now, whose recipe is this, Mike? This is without a doubt my wife's recipe. All right. Now, Kenji, we're getting into a different territory here because when you are making a salsa, which is basically just a lot of junk that's rotting in your fridge, cut up and put into a bowl, you can really improvise. And really, a recipe is not necessarily required, much like any salad or sandwich. You just kind of go with what you got. Right. Baking if you is a science far more so than making a salad wouldn't you say um i I would say so yeah i mean you know it's you do tend to measure more precisely when you're baking because if you put in if you if you just uh freehand the the baking powder it's gonna affect the uh the outcome yes that is true definitely true yeah can i can i add a quick piece of evidence to the um to the to the, the file here i'd be glad if you would (laughs) <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm sitting at my computer and I just did a quick Google search for baked blueberry pecan French toast. Oh my God. Um, what have, what have so, you so first of all, there, there are over 600,000 results, um, but the very first one from Epicurious, uh, is this exact recipe. <gasps> Emily. Takes a thief to know a thief. Oh, wow. Law and order sound times a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I made it for Mother's Day brunch and then repeated to make it because it was a favorite of my mother-in-law. And so she stole it from you. You stole and it from I the stole internet. stole it from Epicurious. All right. Now, if I could add one thing in Emily's defense. No, thank you. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what is in, what is, all right, I, I take it back, Mike. What is it? So the way the way I watch her cook is that she will definitely start out with a, a recipe like this from Epicurious. And the first time she makes it, she tends to follow, you know, what's here. And she doesn't always write down the changes that she makes. But after having done this like four or five times, it's not going to be a dramatically different product when it's done. But it, she's definitely started to like incorporate her own substitutions and her own just additives so that it's not quite the same thing. Be specific, Mike. What does she change? Um, Well, I would say either one. Less salt. Does she not grate the nutmeg? Just throw a whole nutmeg in? Different fruits and and the blueberries and the apples or, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the one who watched her like really make the recipe. I'm just, I guess this is her process for most things is, you know, when she looks up something to start, she usually tries to follow it pretty closely the first time. But by the time she's made it five or six times, it's, you know, maybe not drastically so, but it is definitely different than the original Mike, recipe you heard, off the website. you heard, expert witness, this recipe reproduced here is directly from the internet. Well, that would be what because... What she does in practice does not matter to me. It's what she publishes. That would be because when my mom asked her for the recipe, this would be the recipe that she forwarded to my mom. Oh, and the great tradition 
of older people asking younger people to Google things for them. <laughs> but I guarantee Emily at home has this recipe marked with notes um, and, and her own little changes. Well, the- it's a good thing she can't speak for herself. it also also seems to me like right now you're saying that the recipe published in the book is not actually emily's recipe so so then i don't understand what your what your problem with including that you're you're saying first of all that your mom is stealing recipes from emily and now you're saying that this actually isn't her recipe you hear hear that you guys you know what that's the sound of that's the sound that's the sound of our expert witness finding a crux well, I, I would I would agree with you, except that if you go back to the preface of the cookbook, where it says that all of these recipes have like a deeper family history, um, and and many of them do, like the ones submitted by my aunts, like I read these and I can remember my aunt making them. Um, you know, I remember a Christmas where like lots of these recipes were used, whereas my mom has submitted a recipe she has never made before, has no family history, and she has just taken from Emily to put in this cookbook where it kind of violates that opening, um, that opening description of what this cookbook is supposed to represent. I'm going to do, I'll direct quote. All recipes have a history. Each one seems to recall some memory of a good meal, a fun time, or a special event. For example, baking was a favorite pastime growing up in a house full of six kids where food was everything. And remember that time we opened that packet of Lipton's onion soup and dumped it (laughs) into some regular or light sour cream? It really brings me back. By the way, Lipton onion soup makes onion dip is good. So I'm not being a snob, just being silly. You're saying that reprinting a recipe directly from the internet and putting it in here violates the principle of the preface of the book. Right. And even that Lipton recipe that you quoted, like as soon as you said that, I actually have some memories that come with it, of you know, of, of eating that soup or, you know, of it being like a somewhat little mini special occasion where that's come out. And wait a minute. So you know, you're that- saying corporate soup dip means more to you than blueberry pecan <laughs> French toast? Because- as far as like the, my childhood and I've never had that Blake blueberry as part of growing oh, up. Oh, I, I mean- forgot that everything has to be defined around the significance to your childhood. <laughs> Or our family history. There there is no one in my family who has any history. There will be order here. Mike, this is this inclusion of this recipe. Could it not be argued that this is an expression of Mary Beth's affection for her daughter-in-law making uh, a, a, a new recipe stolen from the Internet, but introduced to your family? and now become a new tradition of your family? Could that not be an argument? Yeah, I suppose that's fair. I just feel like it violates that opening page of saying that this stuff already has a history. Like, I, I get where your point where maybe did you this write, is like... Did you write the preface? No. Well, what about the note at the bottom of that page which mentions new, uh, new clan members? Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a note what have at the bottom I, of What have I stumbled three. into? <laughs> uh, there's a note at the bottom of page three under the preface that says since then we have had many new additions to the brogan clan so there has been oh. a variety of many new recipes waiting to be shared i thought you were talking about a different clan <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe in the maybe in the in the 2017 revised edition you might want to adjust that that note on the bottom of page three we just say family uh so your argument kenji is i'm not sure i 
my argument is that um, so the original preface it does say that this is a family family uh, recipe book and it's all about the family the recipes we had growing up. The note though mentions that there's new family members and that these are specific that the new recipes are specifically new recipes waiting to be shared. Yeah, new favorites you know, added. Yeah, to build new memories around. Kenji, you are like the court detective, and <laughs> I hope you will always be. Being a food writer is a little bit like being a detective, isn't it? Um, yeah, a little bit, yeah. But uh, you, I, I, I did not like your scoffing laugh. <laughs> I mean, I, I, do you think I'm wrong or do you think I'm right? In, no, it's like being a detective in ways that I can't think of right now. Well, tra- tracking down the provenance of a recipe is a, requires yes, yes, a little yes. bit of gumshoeing. It does. And, and you do pay, play a little bit of a scientific sleuth in the kitchen. Right. Figure out why things work the way they do. Yeah, be, well, in, in large part because, you know, most recipes, especially recipes that involve more than just cutting things up and dumping them together, recipes that involve a chemical, the chemical reaction of cooking, you know, as I said, were honed through trial and error. Even the people who invented the recipes probably didn't understand the scientific principles that they were working with and got to something rather mysterious, like baking bread is a weird thing right. that humans made up. Yeah, and, and 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 they've done it so well for so long. Right, and and it's it's almost like since the inventors didn't know the scientific principles, it's an after the fact. It's a it's a uh, what you what you call it there in the CSI. I I, I don't know what you call you it. No, uh, forensic. <laughs> forensic, right, right, right. We're looking at existing evidence. Yeah, trying to figure out how that how that piece of bread got shot to death. Full of holes. It's. I think it's really important to look at decay rates and. Oh sure. So Mike Kenji just yes. Kenji just blew a hole through your whole. It violates the premise of the preface theory, well, and, and, I, and analyzing the wait. blood spatter on the wall, you are mortally wounded. <laughs> can I can I do one rebuttal to that? Hang hang on just one second. Who who is Emily? Was that you trying to get in there? Yeah. So I thought maybe um, to describe it, and maybe this supports what Mike is saying, and it, maybe it's the same thing that he's saying, but. I think this book, more than a cookbook, is like a, like what a photo album is to a family, where it's this collection of, like you said, corporate dips and um, yeah. you know other things that people have made that are are not original to them, but that. Mad- invoke- Madam, you do not need to introduce me to the to the concept <laughs> of the self-published, so, <laughs> spiral-bound family cookbook. I am an owner. I am course. an owner. A proud owner of the self-published spiral-bound family cookbook, I believe, from 1989 that was put together by the wives of the 1989 Hartford Whalers. And (laughs) it's one of my prized possessions. I think it involves, I honestly think it involves a recipe, quote-unquote, for Franks and Beans, and I love it. (laughs) It would fit right in. Whose side are you on in this one? Now that that you've both been outed as thieves, you're taking your mother-in-law's side? Well, I'd kind of like to stay neutral. That's really, this is between but them. Why? They, they like to battle. Um, they, like to ba- they like to battle? In, because they I'm an like in-law and I'd like to stay on the good side. How do, explain to me how they like to battle, Emily. Well, it's, I mean, from placing his mom in the garbage can when she was, I mean, at they, they, they have an ongoing scrabble fight. If, if there is an opportunity to compete, to be the first to get something, whether it's, 
There's, I'm sorry. Did you say placing his mom in the garbage can? Yeah, that's the part that he I missed. Like, I understand the Scrabble part 100%. Yeah, you, I guess you, you, just you almost yeah. distracted me with the Scrabble thing. I almost take that bait, but you can't just <laughs> drop a bomb in a garbage can and just try to move on to Scrabble from there. What? Can I explain that? Please. Garbage can mom, go. Yes. Um, he was asking me a question, and I gave him an answer. I don't recall the question. And I said, okay, that's enough. J just drop it. And go, no, no, no. If you don't, whatever, I'm going to put you in the garbage can. This cannot and be I'm like, from the truth. No, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. How, how old was he at this time? He was in high school. So you were having a dispute. And he said, if you don't do X, I'm going to put you in the mm -hmm. garbage can. Correct. I, and so, I completely Silence, disagree. Mike. And go so on, he Mary picked Beth. me up. He's... You know, a stocky guy. Uh -huh. So he picked me up and he put me in so that my arms and my legs were like sticking out. I couldn't get out. But first. Correct. But first. Yeah, I'm just describing a thing. Sorry, mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't like me describing your mom's butt, Mike? You put her in a garbage can. No, I'm actually having a lot of fun revisiting this memory. <laughs> I know. It's like you just ate a Madeline. <laughs> out of the garbage and it reminds you of that time you put your mom in a garbage can but that is not how it went down it seems like it went down somehow she <laughs> she hid a bag of dog poop in my car to get back at me for something else ah, wow. and when I got back and I had realized that um, I confronted her on it and then she realized that I'm I'm kind of an over retaliator, um, and she realized that she was in trouble. And I forget what she had said, but I was like, "The garbage just happened to be right there." I was like, "Listen, I could probably pick you up and put you in that garbage, and you wouldn't be able to get out until I until you apologized for putting a bag of dog poop in my car." So she refused to apologize. She stood her ground. So I picked her up and put her in butt first, and she was like a turtle on her back. Um, and I forget what I asked her to do to get out of it, but oh, this is intense. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because part part of me part of me is really enjoying this incredibly weird story <laughs> about about some ongoing ongoing increasing prank blood feud between the two of you. My favorite part was when she just offhandedly mentioned his stockiness as though that was a qualification for putting someone in a garbage I think can. she meant that he's a strong dude. Yeah. She, she could have said he was a strong dude. Right. There's The conflict has so many layers I here, know, is my point. But you, I just need to say, everybody, don't assault your mother bodily. Don't put your mom in the garbage can. Even if she puts dog poop in your car? Of course. That, that is beyond over-retaliation. Physical assault is not where you want to go with this. Right. Gotta, I asked him to clean his car no. many times, and he didn't. Madam, that's, just because that's... I'm saying you shouldn't be put in a garbage can doesn't mean you have the right to put dog poop in his car. <laughs> I am saying that if you put dog poop in his car for whatever reason, mm -hmm. a larf or just a chance to in, get back at him for not cleaning his car... The proper response to that, Mike, is in increasing level of prank. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not shoving people into the garbage. <laughs> I thought that was a good prank. It's not a prank. You know what's a fun prank? Punching someone in the teeth. Mary Beth, how do you feel mm -hmm. about being put in the garbage can? 
Um, I, I wasn't happy. Did you feel and, as though you'd been tricked? Did you realize you were in a garbage can? Oh, I'm I, trying to I, get at the prank, essential prankiness of this. <laughs> no, I, I knew where I was yeah. and I couldn't get out. And But when I did, I came out swinging <laughs> in That's a fun true. way. That's sure. true. I wouldn't. I would never Look, hurt. I don't want to deny your family me. its own peculiar brand of fun, but mm -hmm. I do need to ask, Mike: Are you truly bothered by this misappropriation of your wife's recipes, or is this just the flimsiest of excuses to attempt to figuratively put your mom in a garbage can on my fake justice podcast? I, I would be lying if I didn't say it was a pretty close mix of both. Mm -hmm. And and I if I could only add that if the situation were reversed, she would she would have no problem doing the same to me. Emily, do you think that what Mike says is true? Yes, I do. I think um, had had someone else in our family put a recipe of mine in a book, we wouldn't be on this podcast, though. So that he's just <laughs> he has he has fun picking on he her. He's just gin. He's just ginned this whole thing up. In order to humiliate her on a podcast, it's a little exaggerated okay. due mm -hmm. to the fact that it is her. It, sure. If I could, if I, I don't know if I've already described. Like this has mostly to do with my discovery of how she went about it in the first place. Is what led me to to actually submit the case. I think it is more of a very pleasant and entertaining side effect that I get to rub her nose in it. What would but, you have me order if I were to find in your favor? I would like her to have to issue um, some kind of apology or retraction or some kind of added page to the cookbook to apologize and then give my wife credit mm -hmm. um, in a future in a future edition. Mm -hmm. what, what about adding head notes to each of the recipes saying uh, exactly what the special moment or celebration they're included for? Is some, something that something that captures the spirit of that preface. Hold on, Kenji. This isn't about a family's love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's an inspired idea, Kenji. But it does it does encourage people to do more writing, and that's something generally this court frowns upon. But what but, if what about this? What if at the beginning of each recipe you put a fond memory of a time you hurt or embarrassed a family member? That would be wonderful. Preferably using that recipe, but I guess that would yeah. be strictly required. If she's looking to attach a fond memory to some of those recipes, uh -huh. I think the only fond memory my mom would have of those recipes is of stealing them to include them in the cookbook. Is that true, Mary Beth? Is that your fond memory? No. I love my daughter-in-law. She's a wonderful cook, and she cooks quite differently, as a lot of people do today from when my mother cooked, which was um, quite basic. Mm -hmm. So the things that Emily makes are a little more involved and they're wonderful. So when my sister asked me for new recipes, I gave her the ones, like these certain four recipes just came off the top of my head as being, these are wonderful, include these. So I didn't do it to discredit her. A lot of the recipes are not credited. We kind of have an understanding, oh, so-and-so makes this. And that's kind of what spurred yeah. the I don't the see any. I don't see any credits. <laughs> and, and I think, though, that I, I've heard enough in order to make my decision. So I'm going to go 
into my testing kitchen uh, and uh, and whip up a justice foam. Uh, but before I do, I just want to read this recipe f- uh, for chicken salad that is uncredited. So I will say that it is by me. Okay. It's from the from the Brogan family cookbook. Two cups cubed chicken, cooked, an important detail. <laughs> Two cups celery, one small green pepper, two tablespoons onion, one small jar pimento, 10 ounces frozen peas, cooked, one cup Hellman's brand mayonnaise, one small can Chinese noodles. Mix all ingredients together. Chill. <laughs> I'll be back in a moment with my decision. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom, perhaps to make himself a nice chicken salad. Here's my question. Here's my question for Emily and Mary Beth. Have the two of you thought about leaving Mike behind and starting a new family <laughs> elsewhere? Yes, we, it's been considered. It's been considered. <laughs> why, did you, why did you decide against it? Well, I love him. Yeah. Emily does does too. And, you know, he's my son. (laughs) I tried my best. I really did. Mike, what food, what food uh, brings the best and deepest family memories for you? Um, My mom has several recipes, like a potato soup. She used to make a beef stroganoff. Um, several things that do evoke that same kind of historical memory for me, which is why I found it odd that she wouldn't have put those in there instead of stealing recipes from Emily. You know, and that's that's what I was going to say in her defense. Like, she has a few things in her toolbox I'm there. I'm sorry, did I ask you? I missed the answer to my question there in that uh-huh. little soliloquy. <laughs> I was trying to make you human, but I give up. <laughs> Many of us, many of us have. You seem like a lovely guy. We'll see what Judge John Hodgman has to say about all of this when we come back in just a second. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org/slash/join, and you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame, You can upload as many photos as you want and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist and Wired Magazine. 
Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2020-24, Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step-by-step, day-by-day, bird-by-bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. You may be seated. That chicken salad was delicious. Good. How, how are those noodles in there? Is it... They added a little crunch. Yeah. I like the pimento in particular. Yeah, a whole jar. The only thing that the whole experience of eating it was haunting because I had no idea who created the recipe. (laughs) Kenji. Yes. Thank you again so much for being with us. Before I give you my opinion, Uh which is, of course, binding by fake Internet law. What's what's your take? Should Mary Beth be punished? (laughs) um, My take is. Well, I, I don't think she should be punished for uh, the crime that she is charged with right now. I, th- I think the real crime that she should be punished for, actually, though, is including um, a recipe where 50% of the ingredients are Cool Whip and Snickers bar in the salads <laughs> section instead of the desserts <laughs> section. Um, but maybe that, that's a different <laughs> I think that's, that's a different a, trial. I think that's a regionalism. <laughs> Which where, where was that recipe? I missed it. It's right, right above the chicken salad. Oh, the apple Snicker salad? Yeah. Yeah, it's very misleading because there. Oh, there are Snickers. There's four Snicker bars in there. Wait, there's apples in there. Yeah. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> when I thought it was just Cool Whip and Snickers bars, I was on board. There's a wonderful. I've been I trying to get more vegetables in my diet. I so. I really think you guys should get get this up on as a Kindle single or something soon because <laughs> this thing is going to fly off the shelves. <laughs> Listen to this. Thank you, Kenji, for bringing my attention to the apple Snicker salad. I missed that. My favorite aspect of apple snicker salad is it the Granny Smith a- apples, Cool Whip Snicker bars, crushed pineapple, and walnuts that are involved? No. Is it the fact that it also encourages you to chill? No. My favorite part is if you have any compliments or problems, call Katie. <laughs> the last line of the recipe. Why? Because it's credited. It's credited. Here's the thing there are Two crimes here. One is the crime of theft 
for plagiarism, intentional or unintentional, well-intentioned or malintentioned. There is no question that when you take a recipe, as with any other piece of writing, and present it without due credit in a context where it might be reasonably misunderstood to be your original work, that is plagiarism. And to someone walking through their favorite bookstore and stumbling across this wonderful book and opening it and finding this recipe therein, obviously it's not a commercially produced book, but someone finding this at a yard sale or whatever, being sold off with all the rest of your possessions after we all are dead, <laughs> would reasonably conclude that this was a recipe from the Brogan family and not a recipe stolen from Epicurus. Similarly, if with farm stand salsa, uh, if indeed Emily did invent that recipe and that name and isn't just a liar who stole it again, it would be reasonable to conclude at this yard sale that this was invented by some member of the Brogan family. The second crime is, which one? We don't know. No one's getting credit, even for the stuff they steal. Only Katie was brave enough to take responsibility and willing to offer her help with any problems that might arise with her apple snicker salad. And there are, I can imagine, many problems might arise from it. And indeed, for a family cookbook, with bo which both in spirit and in letter of the preface is designed to help family members remember old family recipes and introduce new recipes into an existing and ongoing and growing family tradition, you're leaving out an important part of the exercise, which is helping people remember who made what, whose recipe was what, who was famous for making that Lipton soup onion dip. <laughs> I think, Kenji, you raised a very beautiful point, which is if it is to collect memories, why not put in the memories? You have the lovely photos. You hint at the memories. But crediting these recipes and maybe adding a line or two about what they meant to the family will help make this whole endeavor much more meaningful. And I don't joke, this will be a service to historians sometime in the future when we are all dust in the ground and have gone to meet God or whatever, someone will find this thing and it will, for some reason, be in a locked vault at the bottom of the sea. And they'll wonder, how did this get here? But they'll also wonder, who were the Brogans? What was it like to eat in Michigan? Where were, where were people stealing recipes from then? <laughs> Which is all part of the, the wonderful... Uh, detective story that is food history. And so I uh, therefore find uh, in Mike's favor, <clears throat> court does not like this, but it is compelled to follow justice. Mary Beth unknowingly plagiarized both her daughter and Epicurious. And she must write a note and organize a revision of the cookbook in which she explains what she did and apologizes and thereafter works on her own or with Mike's cooperation or maybe Emily's help. Poor woman. 
to give credit where credit is due for each cookbook and to give a little line of explanation as to why this is a memorable recipe and where it came from. And for this pecan blueberry French toast, the line will be, I, Mary Beth, stole this recipe from Emily, who stole it from Epicurious. But we have made amends by apologizing here and on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. No one would have known without the detective work of Kenji Lopez-Alt, author of The Food Lab, or words to that effect. I, I know you've already given your judgment. Can I give one more quick piece of, uh, quick, quick little bit of evidence I would here? be very, very glad to. <laughs> I, I, would, I would just like to ask Mary Beth. I just Googled the Brogan family, and it turns out they don't <laughs> exist. Um, whether whether the, um, the memory that you're going to write about in that farm stand salsa is maybe about the time that all of you sat down to watch an episode of Food 911, specifically the episode Giddy Up Picnic. <laughs> oh. Oh. Let me tell, gung, gung, <laughs> law and order noise. Also the first thing you get when you Google farm stand salsa. Yeah, public. Kenji Lopez, Alt. I can't tell you how important it has been to have you here and how grateful that you were here. And maybe you shall be the official court Googler from now on. <laughs> <laughs> because I, like any other elderly person, need someone else to do it for me, apparently. I could have done that. Emily, how do you answer this new charge? Ooh, I don't know food 911. Uh-huh. Mhm. Mhm. Well, we wish you the best. Yeah. Let me tell you something. That's not over. I have not yet pounded the gavel because thanks to Kenji Lopez-Alt, this initial meaningless, harmless violation of reprinting etiquette that was drummed up by Mike in order to hurt his mom conscripting my podcast to be part of their ongoing feud has, you know, what you did not count on, which was that the process of discovery would uncover other crimes. And maybe you should have let this drop before you even took it up. You've already learned now that your wife is a thief twice over. And although you seem very nice, Emily, Kenji Lopez-Alt will forever make me distrust anything that you say. <laughs> Guilty as charged. And second of all, Mike, it was revealed that you assaulted your mother when you were in high school. <laughs> and there That's has strong... never been justice for that crime. That's a strong word. So, no, it's not. No. <laughs> reason, that's pretty much a descriptive word. Yeah. No, yeah, trust if me. She's, if she's laughing while it takes place. Yeah. I, you know, that's not affirmative consent. <laughs> that may, that may be fear or, <laughs> that may be fear or worry overtaking your better senses. But uh, yeah, you can't pick people up and put them in garbage cans, dude. I'd say it was likely a sort of inherited madness. Could be. <laughs> I'm sure everyone had a good time. And I Mary did. Beth. I did. Mary Beth, if you have any PTSD you'd like to discuss later, <laughs> we can get you to a safe space. Thank you. But all the same, Mike, I cannot order anyone to assault you, but I can order you to get in a garbage can. <laughs> I'll assist with that. No, I mean right now. I can do that. Get in the garbage can, Mike. The same garbage can I put her in is still here. This could not be more perfect. 
<laughs> this guys, is the this true. Is, this, this is true justice. This is what making memories is all about. Pour some guacamole on him and then put that in the book. Emily, Emily, are you there? I want you to yes. describe what Mike is doing. Oh man, he is trying to untangle his headphones to go to the garbage can. Here we go. Keep going. I don't know if I, because of the stockiness, I don't know if he's going to fit butt first. I think you mean the strength. I will fit butt first. Oh, he's sitting on the garbage. He didn't even bother to empty it. He is butt first in the garbage can. Are his feet off the floor? They sure are. <laughs> and how does that make you feel to see justice served today? It's, it is a special That's moment. Awesome. I enjoy it. It's right. actually kind of comfy. <laughs> this is the sound of a gavel. Judge John Hodgman rules, that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the court. Not you, Mike. You stay in the garbage. <laughs> Emily, how do you feel right now? You know, I think I, I think it was solved. I love the idea of adding the memories. And I think I'm going to take a picture of him in the garbage can right now for the new edition. And put it in the cookbook. What? How do you feel, Mary Beth? Um... Not the best. I, I thought I was going to win. Well, you know, you didn't not... Madam, your son is sitting in a garbage can. Is that not winning enough for you? <laughs> well, being the one that I raised him, no, it's not. You guys... You did expose there's some other crimes. You guys other have instant. to learn to let it go. <laughs> well, I'm trying. Well, uh, Mike, Emily, Mary Beth, thank you so much for sharing your unique family with us <laughs> on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm losing circulation in my legs. <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Kenji lopez all thank you so much for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And Kenji's book, The Food Lab. Hang is on, a want... book that I own a copy of. Uh, is that the subtitle? <laughs> and I love referring to it and using its recipes and enjoying uh, Kenji's lively writing and his uh, interesting insights. <laughs> James Beard you know, every, award Everything winner. in the book you can find on Google, by the way. That's not how you sell books, Kenji. 
I got a copy of this dang thing. No, it's it, but it's you, your writing, and it is delightful. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and and interesting, and uh, and and certainly, I would say James Beard award earning. Yeah, and winning. Yeah. So don't I'm congrats. Which which uh, which uh, category did you win in? Uh, general cooking. <sighs> That's the big one. Yeah. Did you have a good time at the ceremony? Uh, yeah, I was, I was nervous for the first half of it and then relieved for the second half. You know what my nickname in the kitchen is? <laughs> nervous and relieved. Well, I don't know. What's your general cooking? General cooking. How did you know? Oh, so did you Google it? <laughs> Too quick. Thank you so much, Kenji. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This week's case was named by Jonathan Reiter or Reiter. Uh, thanks to him. If you'd like to name a future Judge John Hodgman case, please do so. Uh, follow us on Facebook, like Judge John Hodgman, join the Maximum Fund Facebook group, and follow us on Twitter, at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. Our producers this week, Jennifer Marmer and Julia Smith. Our thanks to them. Our editor, of course, the great Mark McConville. Thanks, guys. We're going to be on tour, Judge Hodgman. What? Yeah, we're going to the Pacific Northeast on our first ever tour. Yeah, I think you mean the Atlantic Northeast. Yeah, there the Pacific you go. Northeast is that fictional country that doesn't exist. The Pacific Northeast is part of China. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Which maybe we have some listeners there. But right now we are going to be traveling through New England and the mid-Atlantic states, beginning in the great state of Portland, Maine. Tickets are on pre-sale now. Go to MaximumFun.org for all of the dates, all of the details. It is going to be a blast. Dates and deets at MaximumFun.org or John Hodgman. Dot com slash tour. Yeah, you got it. That's my new <laughs> my new announcer voice. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Bye bye. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.